Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. Although the Omicron situation is unfortunately looking increasingly precarious around the world, tis the season to try to be festive, at least a little bit, with Christmas and the New Year fast approaching. And who better to celebrate with than Japan's grumpy Brit, Chris Broad. Are you a YouTuber? I am. Chris Broad. For those of you who aren't yet familiar with his work, Chris has been making videos for YouTube for almost 10 years now, publishing them on his channel, Abroad in Japan. The last time he joined us on Deep Dive was back in 2019, after his channel had just crossed the 1 million subscriber mark. But over the course of the pandemic, that number has swelled, and now stands at over 2.5 million. At a time when the borders have been closed to all but a few, Chris has increasingly become a window into life in Japan, with travel series that take viewers the length and breadth of the country. Now, a lot of people think Japan is just made up of four or five islands, and I suppose that's true to some extent, but really, it's actually got over 6,000. Some are huge, massive, others barely big enough to stand on, but I propose... Earlier this month, Chris invited me up to visit his new Blade Runner-inspired studio in Sendai. It's an amazing space, and if you'd like to see photos, I've put a link to the article I just wrote about Chris and the evolution of the Abroad in Japan channel in the show notes. While we were together, we also recorded this episode of Deep Dive, episode number 110, where Chris talks about the evolution of his channel, his new studio setup, and what's left for him to explore in Japan. Chris Broad, welcome back to Deep Dive. Thanks for joining me again. Hello, Oscar. Good to see you again. It's been two years. <laughs> it's been two years. This time we're up in Sendai. Indeed. In the Abroad in Japan studio. It's a brand new Abroad in Japan studio. Yeah. Is this real? It's it's still trippy to actually have a space I can have friends over or have a meeting or film a video because it used to just be in my apartment, right? And when you wanted to have something serious, it's just a bit awkward having people come to your tiny apartment. <laughs> Watch out for the sock drawer. Watch out for the wrappers of chicken. Just over there, yeah, sit down. Last night's detritus. Yeah, it's not good. So now I've got space and we're in it and it's wonderful, if not a little bit cold. But the heat (laughs) will get better, trust me. Well, I've spent all morning, or last two days in Sendai, you took me around. It was very nice going for dinner with you last night to some of Sendai's finest establishments. An Italian restaurant, (laughs) traditional Sendai cuisine. Um, No, it was was very nice. And I took a walk around this morning, lovely blue, cold day, went to the morning market. Oh, nice, yeah. Kind of sold on Sendai. It's a very nice place, has a good local feel. Yeah, that morning market is really damn good. Like they have uh, food from all around Tohoku. It's a nice place, Sendai. When When people say like, what's it like? I'm like, you don't necessarily want to come here as a tourist. Hmm. It's more of a jumping off point to good things like Yamadera or Matsushima Bay. But to, to live, it is an amazing city and it's only an hour and a half from sort of Tokyo. Yeah. So, no, it's, a, it's an amazing city and I feel very lucky to uh, to live here. Yeah, well, I saw some giant fish on sale for 500 yen. <laughs> and then, have you noticed there's a, there's, <laughs> there's a vending machine which does uni and so sea urchin and scallops. In Sendai? In, in that morning market. How do I not know about yeah, this? Yeah, I mean, it's quite, I didn't buy anything, but <laughs> <that's> <laughs> something no. about sea urchin out of a vending machine yeah, felt that's, wrong. That's, so. that's never a good thing. <laughs> so, it's nine years now since you started abroad in Japan. Indeed. Next year will be your 10th year. You're about to approach, and well, depending on when this episode goes out, you will have crossed the 2.5 million subscriber mark on YouTube. Yeah. You've got this brand new studio space, beautifully designed, like, uh, well, how, how would you describe it in your words? Well, I mean, it's one of those things, you kind of need to see it to really appreciate it, but you've seen the movie Blade Runner, the opening scene with Harrison Ford, he goes to like a ramen shop. Mm. And I love that scene, the world building. Uh, 
it just draws you in and I wanted to sort of replicate that. So on the right-hand side, we've got a ramen shop with lots of neon lights and it looks like an alleyway. And then on the left side, uh, the left street, it's themed like a 1960s sort of retro Japanese sweet shop and an electronic store. And um, it's really cool. Like I, I've been, I've had it about two or three weeks now and I come here and I just sit and I just soak it all in and feel like I've been transported to another world. Well, as someone who's currently looking directly into the ramen shop, <laughs> I have to agree, it's a really cool space. Would you describe this as the biggest year in abroad in Japan history? Yes, I would. Getting the set and the studio is one thing. I just finished filming a, a documentary with Ken Watanabe, which is a, a really big deal because I sort of joked about that for years. I sort of said, you know... The, the time that when I have coffee with Ken Watanabe, I'll leave Japan because I've completed Japan. Yeah. Uh, and that happened. Um, I was, and will you stay? I will stay. I will, <laughs> I, I, it was all built on a lie. I will remain. Um, I also finally visited all 47 prefectures in Japan. I finished the last few this year, which were Tokushima, Kochi, and uh, yeah, and I think Tokushima, Tokushima and Kochi. Both of those in Shikoku, right? Both in Shikoku. And uh, did a series called Journey Across Japan, The Lost Islands, where we went around uh, Kyushu and did some amazing things. We flew over the most active volcano in Japan, Sakurajima, mm-hmm. Cessna. It erupted about two weeks after we flew over it. Glad we weren't there, because it would have been abroad floating in the sea below, probably. Yeah, and we explored some abandoned islands. So I'm really proud of the content we made this year, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I think next year is going to be a big one as well, for, to celebrate the 10-year anniversary. It's going to be a, a big one. Have you got anything specific planned for the 10th anniversary? I've got a few ideas that I won't talk about now. Okay. The one I will talk about, I guess, is I do want to do something like a short film. I think when I saw you two years ago, I was like, yeah, don't worry, next next year, Oscar, I'll be a famous Oscar-winning movie director. Yeah, I'll see you then. Didn't happen. It's been two years. (laughs) Nothing's happened. It was COVID. COVID's fault. Let's face it. put a lot of good plans to bed, I think. It was COVID. If it wasn't for COVID, I would be the next Steven Spielberg, but it's Kevin's <laughs> fault. So I want to move into fiction, and that's kind of the reason I got the ramen shop, so I can experiment. And while I don't think I'll use it as a set for a short film, I'll certainly use it to learn lighting and composition. And yeah, so that's one of the things I want to do. You talked about some of your travel experiences over the last year, um, going down to Kagoshima, flying over Sakurajima and a Cessna. Uh, you traversed Hokkaido, was that this year, where you went up to Hokkaido as well? Yeah, that just, was in, just returned from that Hokkaido. was uh, February. I went with my yep. good American friend, Pete. He's literally known as, my best American friend is his nickname. That uh, He and I... We, we wanted to go somewhere adventurous mm. and I always wanted to go to Wakano. Mm. I think it was his idea to go that, in winter. That's the n- most northerly point in Japan, Yeah, right? I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Cape Sawyer is technically the most northern point, so we went there. And uh, we knew it'd be difficult in February going in winter because it's very snow, very cold. Yeah. It's the worst sort of month, but it's also the best month and it was very adventurous. The only downside was because of COVID, a lot of Hokkaido was shut. We went to Otaru, this beautiful port town just uh, west of Sapporo. Mm. And it was all shut. Uh, we could do nothing there. And that sucked a bit. But it had a real sense of adventure to it. And it mm. was a lot of fun. And I, I'd like to do something like that again. But I feel like there's nowhere as dramatic as, 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 Hokkaido. as, as that. But there's so much of Hokkaido, which is good. So there's yeah, plenty to explore. Yeah. What would you say your kind of standout experience from the last year or potentially two years of the pandemic's been? It would have to be journey across Japan with the, you know, with the, the Cessna, going to Yakushima, mm. beautiful island, UNESCO World Heritage Island, <laughs> just south of uh, Kagoshima, going to Ikashima, this abandoned island, and, and Nagasaki, yeah. Kyushu is really underrated, I think, and uh, we also went to the Aso 
volcano, the Asso Caldera, which also erupted. A few months after we were on the summit of that, that would have been horrific. That it, erupted in a very big, very dramatic, very impressive yeah. way. I remember seeing footage of that and going, okay, this looks like it's straight out of a disaster film. It's honestly terrifying. You know, yeah. if you, when you're up there, there's a three warning system. It's like, it's it's safe, it's green. Then it's it's a little bit dangerous, it's yellow. And then red, it's like, run, run now. And we were on yellow when we were there. Nobody died though, or got injured from what I read. So they must have shut down the summit of yeah. the volcano because yeah. there's no way you would survive what went on up there. I went to the summit about this time last year, actually. It was in December oh, right. 20... What year are we in now? 2021. December 2020. 2020. <laughs> yeah, went to the summit of Mount Asso and also flew around it in a helicopter, which oh, wow. was a lot of fun as well. So you get that kind of view down into the crater where you see the bubbling lake at the bottom and all the smoke coming out of it. It's, it's a very dramatic place. It's very dramatic. And Far I, I, cry from Kent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly is. It, it definitely has one of the most impressive landscapes in the entire country, the Asso sort of caldera. Mm. It looks like something out of Legend of Zelda, Breath of the Wild. It's a very amazing landscape and uh, you don't hear about it enough. Well, I remember when I went there the first time in 2018, I remember going, wait, wait a minute, why is no one talking this about this? Yeah. Why has no one said anything about this? It's amazing. But travel guides in Japan only still catching up, really. Only recently is Tohoku, where we are now in North Japan, sort of started to actually get more than one page in a Japan guide. Mm. So it's exciting. And I think, I like to think that's partly due to YouTubers in Japan, not just myself, but everyone traveling around has, has sort of shown that there's a lot more to Japan than just Tokyo, Kyoto, and, you know, and Osaka. Over time I've watched your channel, you have transitioned, I feel, from doing a lot of stuff in your studio, in your home space, which is funny now that you actually, you've built out this studio space, but you've, you've ended up doing a lot more travel stuff, a lot more stuff out on the road. Mm, mm. Has the pandemic shifted your approach to the content you've made? It, it kind of has, but then in hindsight, no. Like, I, I thought, well, I'll just cut down on travel content. You feel like a bit of a, you know, you don't feel... Great. Mm. Going, oh, this place is amazing in Japan. You should come here, guys. Oh, wait, you can't. Mm. Um, and I've had that feeling. Like, I've literally just released a video called 47 Things to Do in Japan. And it's talking about one thing to do in every one of Japan's 47 prefectures. And I filmed that. And then the next day, the Omicron, oh, my God, variant turned up. Bloody, and, uh, <laughs> and everyone's like, why would you release this when Japan's now, you, you can't go to, to it everyone, again. Yeah. So I have tried to cut down travel content, but I really haven't in hindsight. If I look at the videos I've made, I haven't at all. But it's certainly, it's affected the Abroad in Japan podcast a bit. Uh, we lost some viewers last year because a lot of our viewers are people that are coming to Japan. Uh, and they, they sort of listen to the podcast and and... Yeah, the pandemic, when they realised they couldn't come, we lost a fair few listeners. And commuters. A lot of people listened to the podcast, yep. listened on the way to work, and all of a sudden there was no Are work. you on the train right now? <laughs> Where but, are you going? <laughs> but like, yeah, so, but it, it seems to have gone back up now, so that's good. But Looking at your viewership or seeing the comments people write below your videos, do you find that people have actually become more interested in Japan or the people who stuck around at least. Do you think they're more in interested in Japan because it has become this closed off place that no one can really get to or no one's been able to get to for the last two years? That's a, that's a good question. I, I actually think it's remained more or less the same. I do think, that, you know, the interest in Japan just seems to increase every year, mm. um, which I think partly because of anime, uh, partly because, well, I don't really know. 
But what I do know is there seems to be an audience of people that like Japan that is growing each year. Maybe that's partly YouTube as well has made it accessible. Like I was talking to a friend the other day and I realised before I came here in 2012, I remember going on YouTube and looking up Japan and, you know, we really didn't have a lot much to go on. Mm. Certainly outside of Tokyo, there was nothing really. It was like a really badly filmed shot of a rice field on an iPhone. Uh, And now you can... can Go on YouTube and you can type in any dish, you can type in any prefecture, any part of the country, and you'll find something good. Someone will have made a good video. Mm. So I think YouTube, in a, in a weird way, I think YouTube has actually helped sell Japan to the world. And it'll be really interesting to see what happens when the doors open, how quickly everyone comes back. But I think it'll be a lot of people very fast. Or mm. well, how do you feel about tourism coming back? Because I think one of the silver linings one of the few silver linings of the pandemic is for those lucky people who've been able to be in japan the whole time mm. domestic travel has still been fairly possible throughout most of it yeah, yeah and i think the japan that we've been able to see has been one that is a japan that very few people will potentially ever be able to see again which is one without very many tourists i think at this point i feel good about people yeah. coming back i want people to come back because businesses are failing and uh, it's sad. I went to Hokkaido Hakodate Morning Market and it's usually bustling. And you know, a lot of tourists that go to Hokkaido are from around Asia, sort of Chinese, Taiwanese, South Korean. Um, but that market was always bustling. And I went there on that trip to uh, Wakanai, the most northern point, and there was no one. And I, when I say no one, it was literally myself, my friend Pete, and that was it. And I was like, oh my God. And that really hit home for me. Mm. Um, because while I've been to Kyoto, and there's no foreign tourists there. Kyoto is still bustling. It's a big city, lots going on. Kyoto has been really nice. I've spent more time in Kyoto in the last sort of 18 months than I have in all of the eight or nine years before mm. it, just because it's just been amazing. You do go to, you know, Kiyomizadera Temple and there's nobody there who's, who's a foreign tourist. And, and that is a sizable chunk of the people that go to Kyoto. Mm. Yeah, I went to Kyoto early on in the pandemic as well. It was stunning. It was stunning, stunning but sad. I think was my takeaway because it is a city that is geared up towards tourism and kind of entertaining the people who both domestically and international who come to that city. And once you removed the kind of impetus to do so or the ability to do so because all these, all the tourists had gone, physically it was the same city, but in terms of atmosphere and everything else, it felt like a pale shadow of what it was before. Yeah, absolutely. You, you realise that tourists, tourists really do sort of make the city feel alive. Because you sort of walk past a restaurant or a bar, it's just empty. I remember I stayed in a hotel in Takayama in Gifu Prefecture, one of my favourite cities. And I, I stayed in this brand new hotel. It was amazing looking, sort of Nyokan, traditional in Mitsu Hotel. It was like four or five storeys. And it must have had like 200, 300 rooms or something. And there was three people in it. And I went to the hot spring on the roof. And it was at first, I was like, wow, this is cool. And then I was scared. Because I remember just sitting in the corner of this hot spring. Massive hot spring. The size of like a football field. And it was just me alone in the corner. And I was like, this feels like the end of the world. It feels mm. apocalyptic. Like everyone's dead. And it's just me sitting in a hot spring or something. So I'm done. I want people to come back. I want businesses to return to health. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think it, that will be good. It'll be very good to have tourists back as soon as possible. Mm. On a more personal level, has the pandemic changed your relationship with Japan at all? Um, not really, no. I've travelled Japan quite a lot during the pandemic still. You know, obviously when there's not an emergency lockdown, I've, I still travel the country as much as I can. 
Um, but no, I would say not really, not particularly. It's still Japan to me. I would say I do need to get out of Japan for a little bit. Uh, I haven't been home since in, in two years, and I plan to go back this Christmas until this new exciting variant appeared and ruined it for everyone uh, and made travel a lot more difficult. But I do need to get away from Japan for a little bit. Because, you know, you appreciate Japan a lot more when you go away and come back. And after two years, the, some things get to you a little bit and, mm. you know, you just need to get out. You need to go home. Well, I think COVID has been, it's just felt like a very disconnecting time as well, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you feel know, like a on bubble. On every level. In Japan, it feels like a bubble because yeah. it is shut off from the world in a way that not many other countries are. Mm. It does feel like you exist in this weird bubble watching the world outside sort of go on and, and well, collapse around you, it seems. So you've got this new studio now. All the lights are beautifully blinking in the background. Um, <laughs> <laughs> got your lot. face point painted on the wall. Uh, yeah, my face is there. Yeah, so you've got the studio. You're approaching this 2.5 million subscriber mark. Next year will be the 10th year on YouTube. If we were to fast forward 10 years beyond mm. that, where do you see the Abroad in Japan channel going? I think... So that's a good question. I think... I will divide my time between the UK and Japan more and more increasingly into the future. So it's like half and half. I think people expect me to just have this clear-cut goodbye Japan moment and I sort of wave wave off at the airport and the plane takes off and there's like end credits, play the music. But that, it won't be like that. It'll be a very gradual sort of transition. And I think in 10 years... I, honestly, I don't know what I want to do. I like making skits i like filming short films mm. i want to well i want to get into short films so i think that's the direction i'll probably head in the direction of trying to become a film director or direct something but i often think to me that's like the holy grail yeah i want to direct a film or whatnot but really i'm very lucky to be where i am now right doing what i do i can make a video it'll get a million views i think a lot of film directors would love to be in that position so mm. i've got to think carefully about how i can use that force for good for the, like a crappy superhero but uh i don't know i want to do something big uh involving video something that i can leave my mark on the world mm. in a good way <laughs> so i don't know really document something produce a documentary make a series of short films i just want to do something that excites people and interests people that's the thing that sort of drives me i want every video i make to make people laugh or learn something new um, and I want to do something on another level that could, as to what that is, that's mm. very vague. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm trying to be too bold for 11.30 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have already moved into the documentary space though, right? You did the... Uh, I have, yeah. You did yeah. the video on, was it towards the 10th year anniversary of the Tohoku earthquake? Yeah, just before two, that. two documentaries on the, the earthquake and tsunami. Yeah, and then I did the, the Fukushima exclusions they won and uh ken matanabe as well coming up and that's kind of almost a sequel to those ones because he's very heavily involved in the reconstruction effort uh in kesen numa just north of sendai to port town and uh so that's the next documentary i'm working on at the moment mm. but uh yeah I, it would be nice to work more in the world of documentaries but uh right now i i, I love what i do and i feel very lucky and privileged to just be able to make a video about anything and hundreds of thousands of people watch it. It's quite a surreal situation and it's quite scary as well. It's quite scary when you've got no like, manager or no one watching over who's like, well, oh, don't post that. Don't mm. do 
you know, it's quite a scary thing. When we were out for dinner last night, you described yourself as your your own harshest critic. Yeah. And I wonder, in going from kind of the beginning of your career as a YouTuber to where you are now, 2.5 million subscribers, very clearly established on the platform, mm. has there ever been the temptation to relax or... Do you, are you actually putting more of yourself into these videos now than you were right at the beginning? I'd say it's about the same, really. I, I, I'd I, say I, you have to put your personality front and centre because that's a lot of the time what a lot of the viewers come for when you're an established sort of personality. Um, that's why I always put my face in the thumbnails. If I don't, often the video doesn't do as well. Hmm. Um, so you do that. But I think the the golden, the sort of, the what, what's the word I'm looking for? The golden... The, the aim of most creators, I think, is to sort of build the, the channel around them so they can do anything. And one flaw I have is, of course, I'm abroad in Japan. If I go to the Silly Isles or if I go to Iceland or Mozambique, it doesn't work. And so I need to think carefully about what, what direction so I want to head in. Slightly shoehorned yourself into a corner. Yeah, I'll never be abroad in Mozambique. Not, not just yet anyway. <laughs> unless I set up a brand new channel. So I'm thinking more about that in the long run. How can I build it more around myself, but also keep it entertaining and educational as possible. Um, so that's something I'm working towards, I feel. Do you ever struggle with inspiration for videos and trying to find new topics after having done this for nine years? Yeah, I've had a recent uh, sort of rut of ideas in the last sort of two months. It depends on your mood, you know. Mm. Because I wasn't going back to the UK... In, I, I planned to go back in September, but I had to cancel because of the studio and other f- situations. And and during that time, I was a bit sad. And I was like, oh, life's rubbish. Mm. And that then I had no ideas. The ideas come when you are in a good mood mm. and when you are in the right frame of mind. And uh, yeah, recently I've had lots of ideas. I'm feeling quite positive. The studio is now built. I can actually film here. And I have a lot of ideas coming. So it's all about being in the right frame of mind. But it's horrible when you are depressed or not happy which I you know I have been a few times over the years doing this because then there are no ideas you just think I don't want to don't want to film anything mm. I don't want to do anything just, but you have to because that's what you do for a living <laughs> and it gets hard well especially as you said when you make yourself the kind of main personality and put your face front and center and everything mm. right mm. absolutely but uh yeah but now I've got the studio I'm confident I'll be happy I will be happy Although I'm not happy now that I can't go to the UK at Christmas. But I'll channel that bitterness and resentment into a series. <laughs> and uh, I'm currently working on a series called The 12 Days of Chris Mus. Uh, and it's clever, I use my name there. <laughs> do you have a dream video that you'd like to do? Especially now that you have met Ken Watanabe and interviewed him and done a documentary yeah. with him. I, it, it, I mean, yeah, that was really trippy. I was, I remember just sitting there having coffee with him. And just thinking, this is Ken Watanabe. This is very odd. He's the man in The Last Samurai. He's the man in every good Christopher Nolan film. Like he's he's Ken Watanabe, and he's like, "Do you want a slice of pizza?" I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> it's just the, it's just so weird. Yes, Ken. <laughs> yeah. Um, as to the future, though, I I don't really have any other famous people that I'm that bothered to. Interview. Maybe mm. Tatsuro Yamashita, the artist. I really like his music, his city pop music. City pop song, yeah, yeah, big fan. Uh, it would be lovely to talk to him and be like, do you realise how many people idolise your music, listen to it every day to stay sane? But he'd probably be like, yeah, that's yeah, good, isn't it? And I'd be like, oh. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I don't really, I'm not that bothered about interviewing people yeah. uh, who are famous unless 
there's something in particular, mm. I think. But. but I guess in terms of topic or, you know, place you'd like to go in Japan that you still feel like is completely unexplored from your perspective, is there anywhere that stands out that you'd really like to, to go out and make a video about? I'd like to get Okinawa again. I've only been there yeah. once very briefly. And Okinawa seemed very special, very unique. So down there would be, for me, it's kind of the last frontier now, I think. It's got uh, a fascinating history as well, especially around World War II. islands, yeah, yeah. Very complicated sense of identity. I'd love to go down there and take another look uh, and go to the most southern point in Japan. Now I've been to the most northern point. And I'd like to climb mountains, as you do. Uh, I know you love climb mountains, Oscar. I, I, you're welcome to join me at any point. I will die. Yeah, but you're insane. <laughs> we'll do an easy the places one. you go, you go to like the land of bears. You went to like the most bear-infested place in the world. And yeah. that's not even an exaggeration. Shiratoka. Shiratoka, right? yeah, the Shiratoka Peninsula. But bear capital of Japan, bear capital of its highest density of brown bears anywhere in the world. And yet you saw none. Saw not <laughs> a single bear, which I'm very grateful for but, yeah i mean that's probably a good thing to be honest but uh yeah so okinawa is in my sights um and and the mountains of, of japan and the people mm. i think that's the sort of the direction i need to head in maybe interviewing just regular interesting people in doing great things whether it's running a restaurant or a business sort of diving a bit deeper and finding those sort of personalities and those people mm-hmm. i really enjoy that This episode is going out around Christmas and I know you're feeling sad about not being able to go back to the UK for Christmas. So in the Christmas spirit, I did bring you a small gift to uh, potentially decorate your studio if you like it. I tried to pick the least horrible or potentially most horrible (laughs) Christmas decoration. So Merry Christmas and thank you for having me up in Sendai. Wood animal toy. I'll describe it to you guys. It's just a box that says Brid, (laughs) B-R-I-D, someone misspelt bird. And on the other side, it says wood animal toy. As we open the box, we find a wooden Santa Claus with legs. <laughs> you go like this. It's a bit like the Nutcracker. It's very much like the Nutcracker. I thought couldn't be too outrageously garish, otherwise it wouldn't go with the studio vibe. Oh, but it's the same colour scheme as your Darima in the back there. So Yeah, and in the 1960s toy shop, that will go really well all year round. So thank you, Oscar. It's lovely. I feel Merry in the Christmas. festive spirit. It's made up for not seeing my friends and family for two years. Oh, I hope, I, I thought it would. It's, it's way better than that. I'm sure my company's just as good as your, your family back home. Definitely, definitely. That's no, really cool though. Thank you so much. That's awesome. You, I mean, you mentioned you had a series of videos going out every other day, the 12, 12 videos of Christmas, 12 videos of the 12, 12 days, days of Christmas. Christmas. How could Brackets you forget How could you forget Early it? in the morning. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously you had the Christmas in the UK planned, but how will you spend Christmas in Japan now? Yeah, I wanted to sort of turn that negativity into a positive. I think it is a negative into a positive anyway. But uh, make a a series of videos every other day, try and release something on the Chris Abroad channel, the sort of second channel, where I can experiment and have a bit more fun. But I am still releasing videos. You've got the Ken Watanabe documentary. I've got a, a little video in Hokkaido coming out. Um, so I'm still, I'm going to be very busy. I'm ba- mm. Instead of relaxing and taking time off, I'm going to be just working harder than I would have done had I gone home. Um, and then I think January will be my holiday. Yeah. And maybe then I'll go to Okinawa and sit on a beach and do nothing. Relax for a bit. Pretty much. As for Christmas Day, I don't know what I'll do. Last year I got the KFC Christmas bucket. Which, I've never actually done that. Yeah, don't do it. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. <laughs> Awful. It's really not good. The chicken's a bit... It's just KFC. Yeah. But with an extra bit of chicken and a 
Colonel Sanders with a Santa hat on. Does that justify $70? Does that justify almost $100? No, it doesn't. Well, Chris, I've had a very good time talking with you. Thanks so much for having me up in your studio. It's been really nice. Merry Christmas to you. I hope it's not just spent alone with a KFC (laughs) chicken bucket. Oh, God. That'll be it. That is me sitting at this table, (laughs) slowly eating a KFC. But a very Merry Christmas to you, Oscar. Do check out the series, 12 Days of Christmas. The question is, when this podcast comes out, will I have succeeded or not? I have a very famous track record for failing at everything, uh, particularly when it comes to putting out a series. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But Merry Christmas to everyone listening. I hope you have a good Christmas and uh, no matter where you might be in the world. Merry Christmas, Chris. Merry Christmas, Oscar. That was Chris Broad. A huge thanks to him for inviting me up to his studio and showing me around Sendai for a couple of days. If you would like to see photos of him and his studio, the profile I've written on Chris and the Broad in Japan channel is linked in the show notes. Before we go, a quick reminder that we are looking for listener submissions for our end of year episode. We want to hear about your highlights from 2021, your favourite experiences or moment of the year. Let us know, send us your story. The deadline for those is Monday the 27th of December. For more details, please see the show notes. That's it for this week's episode. Happy holidays to all of you. I hope you find a way to enjoy it. And as always, Podskarizama. <laughs> 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 Very good.